at TransferWise, the product marketing team, all of our PMMs are embedded within product teams. So we're very, very close to the product. We work with the engineers and the PMs and the designers every single day. The PMMs are really the voice of the customer for those guys. And our role is really to, to bring that insight and make sure that we're, we're building to, to meet customers' needs. Hello, and welcome to the FinTech Marketing Podcast, bringing you insights and ideas from the world's leading financial service marketers. I'm your host, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing Officer of 11FS. I'm on a mission to learn how the world's hottest FinTech startups and most innovative financial service brands drive growth through modern-day marketing. Today's guest is Tessa Petman, Global Head of Product Marketing at TransferWise. Tessa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So I have to say, we are recording this in late March in the midst of, of everything that's going on. Uh, so we are in our separate places. We are not together and dealt with some uh, some technical issues getting things set up. But it's great that we can now hear each other. How are you doing? How are you coping? How's the team doing uh, during this crazy time? Yeah, yeah it's pretty mad. Um, yeah, we're doing good. I mean, um, I guess we're in a fairly fortunate position as a company that um that we're actually pretty well set up for for remote working anyway so actually um this kind of shift to to the whole company working from home is not such a big um big change for us um and apart from the else you know we're, we're an online business so actually our, our services really aren't disruptive very much and and so fortunately we're able to continue supporting customers which is obviously the main thing right now um because yeah it's, it's a strange world we find ourselves in at the moment yeah it certainly is um and we're in a similar boat in the sense that you know we had remote working and we're set up for it and lucky enough that we can do most of our work and even podcast recordings uh <laughs> remote but obviously a lot of businesses aren't um Aren't, aren't lucky enough to be in that situation right now. Um, but but let's get into it. So kicking us off, can you tell us about your favorite brand in financial services? And it can't be TransferWise, although I do have to say for episode one, uh, Tristan from Monzo called out TransferWise as the, as the answer to his question for this. <laughs> but it can't be your own brand. What's your favorite brand in FS and why? Mm, cool, yeah. Um, um, I guess... <laughs> The, uh, I actually thought about this a little bit um, in advance of our conversation because uh, it's, I think uh, it would be very easy to pick some of the kind of cool, hot, sexy, you know, B2C brands like Monzo, actually. Um, but I kind of think a lot more about some of the B2B brands doing really interesting things in this in this arena. And actually, I think Stripe is a great example of, uh, of a brand that I think is, is really interesting. You know, it's B2B marketing can traditionally be pretty dry. And I think that Stripe do a really great job of making it, you know, really human, really engaging, very accessible, you know, like even their mission, which is, I think it's, um, we want to increase the GDP of the internet. You know, it's really ambitious and and kind of inclusive and and much more in line with sort of B2C messaging that you would see more typically. So, um, so yeah, I think Stripe is, would be, would be an interesting one for, from my perspective. Yeah. I love that one. And, and I think increasingly, I mean, I'm in B2B marketing here at 11FS and I think increasingly what we're seeing with successful B2B brands, and it's certainly the approach that we take here is actually the modern day approach to B2B marketing is actually to take more of a B2C approach. Yeah, um, absolutely. So in, instead of marketing in a more traditional B2B company being a support function for sales, 
it's really leading the charge in terms of the growth of the company and, and trying to reach an audience. And a lot of what we do, obviously, you know, this podcast is a perfect example is try to build a media company around what we stand for, put out content that's valuable to people and then bring the audience and the market to us. Absolutely. And, and, you know, end of day, we're all, we're all human beings. We're all customers behind the brands as well. So, you know, no one really wants to be sold to in that very sort of old and, and more traditional sort of archaic uh, B2B style. So I think it's a good thing for the yeah. industry. I think we talked about that with uh, Val Christensen from uh, Oak North on one of the, one of the episodes for this season that it's not B2B or B2C, it's business to human, B2H. So I don't know if that's a term that's going to catch on, but Thought it was yeah. an interesting, interesting. Heard, heard it here first. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so, Tessa, tell us about yourself. What's your background? I know you've been at TransferWise since uh, since 2017. Um, how did you end up there, and how's it going in your current role? Mm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, to be honest with you, I was actually pretty surprised to find myself ending up in in financial services. Like, my career path has probably been quite atypical in that respect. My first ever job was uh, in European public affairs. I actually worked in in the European Parliament in Brussels for a little while um, and then spent a year working as a journalist in Argentina before I landed my first ever marketing role, Um, but kind of settled into that and and then fell into a tech role originally with some really scrappy startups, really bootstrapped, you know, when you're kind of doing everything and you're like your marketing and your PR and your QA and your customer service and you're, you're literally everything. And it's kind of that, that very vertical learning curve. Um, but, um, but then kind of pro- progressed to some more established tech companies prior to TransferWise. I was with, uh, Handy in New York as their director of product marketing. Um, they're an on-demand home services platform. So I had a couple of years in the States with them, um, and then joined TransferWise originally to, to actually launch our multi-currency account and debit card for the first time uh, in the UK and Europe. Um, and now I, I manage a team of seven product marketeers around the world, some in London, New York, Singapore, plus a fledgling CRM team that we're growing here in London. So all of that is, is keeping me pretty busy. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's interesting. I think you're seeing more and more marketers, successful marketers, people rising to kind of the leadership ranks, particularly in in uh, in challenger or startup organizations that don't come from a strict marketing background. Mm-hmm. They have uh, diversity in what they've done. They've maybe had a tech role at some point or they've had a product role. Um, and I think that's super important because you need to bring that broad perspective in general to what you do in marketing. But uh, even more importantly, you need to actually understand the business that you're trying to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I find it's really interesting. At the moment, we're doing a lot of hiring in in product marketing roles, and that there are not that many product marketers out there. You know, it's a relatively new discipline within marketing, and uh, so I find that we look an awful lot broader at skill sets. And some of the most interesting candidates that I've spoken to are, you know, they're coming from from journalism or from copy, or that also from uh, from data science. Like people with a data science background, I find have bring a fascinating flavor to product marketing because suddenly by understanding like data structures and how you can use that within marketing, it it really opens up the opportunities to the sort of things that you can deliver and personalize and message to customers. So yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. Like it's, um, it's definitely moving in another direction now. And is that something that you consciously try to do in terms of how you set up and run your team and just the way of working 
to uh, try to bring them closer to the business and make sure that they're really plugged into the product roadmap and re- what those teams are doing? Or I guess another way of saying it, it'd be great to hear about how you do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, at, um, at TransferWise, the product marketing team, all of our PMMs are embedded within product teams. So we're very, very close to the product. Um, we work with the engineers and the PMs and the designers every single day. Uh, we do quarterly planning with them. We uh, we work on the roadmap together. And the PMMs are really the voice of the customer for those guys. You know, they're the ones that are building and developing and iterating on this product. And our role is really to, to bring that insight and make sure that we're, we're building to, to meet customers' needs. So, um, so yeah, I think um, for, for, for the way that we're thinking about it with TransferWise, that there are definitely unusual skills that we either look to hire in for or, or build within the team. So, for example, I really encourage everyone on my team to learn SQL. Um, just because I think understanding the data structure behind TransferWise completely changes the game in terms of understanding how you can personalize messaging for customers, for example. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's probably quite an unusual environment, um, specifically in the way that we work, but um, but it works really nicely for us. Yeah, and I think like what you said, I think you'll see roles like that and structures like that and um, philosophies like that increasingly so going forward. Um, so maybe to build on that, um, that's obviously a piece of it, but but what else factors into your philosophy on marketing? What's the high-level strategy that you're taking at TransferWise or that maybe you've developed over the years in past roles? Mm, yeah. I mean, um, I think uh, philosophy is quite, quite a, it's a funny word, isn't it? I guess there's probably three three things that I really lean on when it comes to, to any kind of approach to marketing, really. Um, the first is always be human. You know, no one wants to be sold to. We're all humans end of day. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that just reminding yourself of that sometimes can make your marketing much more powerful and effective. Um, the second thing I think is listen to your customers. You know, it's actually, it seems so obvious, but it's actually quite an easy thing to forget about. Um, and, you know, I learn something every single time I talk to a customer, whether it's a five minute conversation or, or a two hour dinner, you know, and, um, they have they have really given me ideas and inspiration and, and uh, changed the way that I've thought about doing a specific thing or solved a, a different problem frequently. So so that would be something I definitely adhere to. And I guess the third thing would be um, never underestimate the power of great copy. And this is probably you know leaning a bit more into my journalism days back in the past, but. We have an outstanding copy team at TransferWise, and I'm always blown away by their ability to take messaging and turn it into really beautifully crafted copy. Um, and it makes a really big difference to how customers hear what you're saying. Yeah. And so do you? does that mean that is all the creative done in-house at TransferWise? Pretty much, yeah. We've got yeah. some excellent creative teams. We've copy teams in-house, design teams in-house. I mean, there's a few things that we would outsource, but it's it's uncommon for us, I would say. And going back to, uh, so I love that you have such a kind of specific framework for what what matters most and how you approach things. So be human, listen to the customer, and don't underestimate the importance of of great copy. On the um, on the first two, I'm curious, and I think our audience would be as well. Like, what are the tactical ways that you bring that to life? So you mentioned five minute calls or dinners with customers. Is there a way that you are purposefully trying to make your work or your teams more human and make sure that they're listening to the customer? Yeah, sure. So um, we actually spend a lot of time with our customers. I think it's 
probably fair to say that almost every month we're doing at least some kind of live user testing or customer interviews or customer calls or events. Um, you know, they're, they're a pretty common and frequent part of our, of our lives um, on the work front. Also, I guess, um, I guess anecdotally, like we have actually used customer focus groups, for example, to solve really challenging problems. So, um, like, for example, we had a situation maybe a year or so ago where actually quite unusually for us, we had to increase a fee. So, and, and not by a huge amount. It was, I think, something like from 50p to 65p to move money out of an account. And, uh, but when we first announced that we had to do this for customers, you know, it was obviously quite difficult for them to stomach and we didn't get a great reaction. As you can imagine, no one wants to pay more. Um, so we were like, okay, how do we, how do we really message this really well? How do we get to the bottom of this thing? And so we ran a bunch of focus groups with customers to explore this with them. And, uh, and, and in the end we asked them, you know, the 65p, because it's, it's not about the money. Actually, I was like, what if I told you that it cost us 62p to actually provide this service for you? And they were like, oh, oh, okay. Well, you know, that's, that's fine then. Like, I totally get it. And so what we then took away from that is we were like, hang on a sec. Actually, what we need to do is break this down and actually tell people in a super transparent way what this money is paying for. So we ended up taking that uh, 65p fee and breaking it down and showing them a graphical representation in the email that we sent to them of exactly what it was paying for. So we were like, listen, 31 pence of this pays for anti-fraud and operations teams. 21 pence of this pays for our banking partners who actually process this payment. 13 pence of this goes into reinvesting and growing transferwise. And the reaction that we had to that second email was overwhelming. Like we have people on social media, like applauding us for our transparency and actually being not only willing, but like relatively happy to pay this increased fee. So I guess for me, that's like a sort of microcosm of an example of how you can take that commitment to, to listening to your customer and actually turn it into improvements in your marketing messaging. Well, it's also, I mean, you're as a business, um, some of the, you know, every business struggles with how do you uh, communicate the value of your product or service. But for your business, I think a lot of people aren't even aware of the fees that they might be paying for typical exchange rates or transfers or whatever it is. So you kind of have, um, and I think historically TransferWise as a brand has really um, focused on this, it seems as an outsider in your marketing, the education and even, even to the point of it seeming like a mission to bring that transparency and to pull back the curtain and just make sure people know the other side of the equation of, hey, on the one hand, here's what TransferWise can do. But on the other hand, here's some things you might not even know about what you're paying for in other places. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's uh, like problem awareness for us is, is one of the biggest challenges for marketing. It's like helping people understand actually the hidden fees behind what their banks are offering. Um, so the way that we tackled that was actually a very product-driven approach, um, as well as being mission-driven in that we actually built transparency products and so we built comparison tools. So we've built tools on site that scrape all of the bank's websites to actually show you exactly the exchange rates and the fees that you would be charged to do the same transaction with Barclays as you would with TransferWise. And we show the difference when with all of our competitors in as, as many markets as we can. I think we have around 30% coverage now of all of the currency routes that we offer. 
Um, and, uh, and I think that level of transparency also engenders real trust because, you know, I would say the vast majority of the time we are undercutting the banks by a factor of like, maybe even 8x, right, in the UK. Um, but in the rare occasions where another bank is more, is cheaper than us, we will show ourselves as well. So we'll show that it would actually cost you 10 pence less to use Barclays for a £10 transaction than it would to use TransferWise. Yeah, and that just builds that trust that matters so much um, for long-term customer buy-in and also advocacy. Exactly. But I think it's, you know, when you're in a position where you really believe that your product is bringing more value or is the better deal, you don't have to work as hard to convince people. You just have to give them the information and they can make the decision for themselves. Sure. Yeah. But I think actually in a strange way, it's, um, you know, it's being equally transparent if things aren't, you know, if things go wrong or if things, if you are more expensive, it's being equally transparent that, in, that engenders more trust Yeah, in a funny kind of way. It's, it's kind of easy to be transparent when you're the cheapest or the fastest or the best, you know, it's, it's much harder when, uh, when you're not. So. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that a lot of, um, not just brands, but also I think you see transparency pop up a lot on company values or internal comms. And it's like you said, it's easier to be transparent when you like what the truth is, but it's much harder when you don't like it. And yet transparency is an all or nothing type of thing. You can't be a little bit transparent or sometimes transparent. And that's when you really earn the trust of people is when they see that you're being transparent, even though it's not in your best interest, but yeah. it is in theirs. Absolutely. And, I, and I've literally read tweets from customers saying the fact that you have shown me that you were 10 pence uh, more expensive than Barclays has made me feel even more trustworthy of you. I'm going to use you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about TransferWise advertising. I think as a brand, you know, you're known for a lot of the stuff in the early days of the advertising, things that were, let's say, bold or a little bit meant to kind of stir up conversation and things like that. And I know that you weren't there during that time. And since you've been there in 2017, you've overseen uh, a lot of the campaigns at a global product marketing level. But how has the philosophy or the approach or strategy shifted for TransferWise marketing from what a lot of people think about back then to where you are right now? Mm. So I think um, I think the philosophy hasn't changed at all. I think that commitment to, to radical transparency um, and to fairness and to, you know, wanting to deliver, to deliver a really great product is exactly the same. Just the execution tactics have changed. You know, we were originally launching product in a time where problem awareness was really, really low. And you have to really make a splash to be heard. You know, anyone anyone who's put a product in market for the first time will know that. But particularly when the fees that are being offered by banks are, are not transparent. So, you know, as we've kind of grown up, I sort of tend to think of that as like a, a slightly adolescent phase for TransferWise. And, and now we're kind of a little bit more mature in our approach to marketing like it's still it's still kind of it's still bold and it's still fun and we're in a in a better place for helping people understand a bit more about the value that we offer without needing to be so sensationalist so what else is working for you right now if you look across everything that you're doing and marketing at TransferWise uh, and your product marketing teams what's what's really working that maybe our audience can learn from well, i guess i mean the last couple of years have been huge for us um you know we launched the multi-currency account and debit card for the first time in the UK in 2018. Uh, since then, we've launched in 24 countries across 
Europe, UK, US, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore. Um, and ha- I've had some pretty cool launch campaigns in each of those kind of giving a different flavor in each market. Um, I guess just thinking about kind of examples on like a more tactical level, um, one of my favorite campaigns actually that we ran this year was um, was a data-driven campaign to introduce our money transfer customers to the debit card. So we actually took a segment of a million UK customers and we calculated how much each individual customer had personally saved in 2019 by using TransferWise. So we took the exchange rates and the fees for the transfers they made with us and compared them to the pricing as if they'd used a bank. And bearing in mind that we support over 1,600 different currency combinations, like it's it's a non-trivial level of detail that that went into. Um, but what it meant is that we could deliver personalized email messages to over a million customers with their savings. So we could be like, hey, Eric, in 2019, you saved £1,285.23 using TransferWise. You could save even more in 2020 by getting a TransferWise debit card. And, uh, and that was kind of cool because, you know, we could deliver this really personalized message that demonstrated the value that they'd already got from us, um, but also kind of upsold this other product in a, in a really elegant way. And, uh, and like we, we saw that borne out in the results for sure as well. Like we ran an A-B test with the savings email versus our best performing email just showcasing the debit card. And uh, I think from memory, it was something like a, at least a 20% lift on the conversion rate for that email. So, you know, like I, I definitely think that, um, that data-driven stuff and highly personalized experience for customers is something that I would kind of take away from the more recent campaigns that we've been running. Well, I must have that email somewhere because I actually am a customer. So I'll have to dig that out. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how much you saved. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's interesting. And so we, we heard um, about some of the things that are working for you, but I think it'd also be interesting to hear about what hasn't worked. Are there lessons that you've learned over the last uh, two to three years at TransferWise mm-hmm. that maybe you can share that yeah. you're applying going forward? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's always a, a much more interesting question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I actually, um, I think one of my favorite things uh, to talk about with, uh, you know, the stuff that doesn't work is um, is actually in, what, what do you do when you make mistakes? Because, you know, we're all human end of day and mistakes happen. Um, but I think uh, it's really interesting to see how different companies and brands handle that. Um, so, for example, we had a, a situation about maybe like two years ago now where we were using a pretty basic uh, CRM tool to send email and uh, we made a mistake in one of the merge tags. Uh, which got missed in QA. And uh, so that meant that we ultimately sent, I think, about 40,000 emails to customers, including, by the way, every single TransferWise employee that didn't render their first name correctly. So instead of saying, hi, Eric, hi, Tessa, it said, hi, F name. So like, it's it's a small and surprisingly easy mistake to make, but you, you kind of just look like a bit of a rookie, right? And um, But then you're sort of faced with this, kind of interesting decision about what do you do do you sort of sweep this under the rug and, and hope for the best and think you know people will forgive you and it's not that big a deal or do you send another email to apologize at the risk of you know just being more noise and more nuisance in your customer's inbox 
Um, and so, you know, we kind of wrestled with that a little bit. In the end, because we have this very strong commitment to transparency, actually that decision becomes quite easy. You know, it's back to that thing about like, it's easy to be transparent when everything's going well, but if you mess up, are you, do you still, you know, own it? So, um, so we actually took, the, uh, took that approach and we sent a follow-up email but rather than just sending a kind of bland apology we kind of put our marketing hats on and uh, our design team created this neat little header image that said sorry f name with like an awkward little little cartoon character and uh, we actually embedded in the email some of the tweets that customers had sent us and like they were pretty funny i think my my favorite was something like hi transferwise please call me James because only my parents call me F name. So like they, they, they were pretty good. So we put some of those in the email and, uh, you know, with a serious sentiment as well, that's like, listen, we realized that we made a mistake. And although it was a small one, we realized that small mistakes can erode your trust, which we work really hard to build. So, you know, our commitment to you is that if we ever make a mistake, we will always own it. Um, so we sent that follow-up email and the, the response we got, I cannot tell you, it was overwhelming. Like the, we looked at the social sentiment scores after that for both emails and the positive sentiment for the apology email was almost four times greater than the negative sentiment for the original mistake. So I kind of like that sort of anecdote, not just because it's sort of success from the jaws of failure, but also because it reminds me that, you know, we're, we're all human and we all make mistakes, but if you correct them in an honest and, and really transparent way, you can actually gain trust from it, which I think is really cool. I really, I really love that <laughs> turning a loss into a win. And, and it doesn't surprise me that that's what you did because of what you talked about earlier with transparency being such a core value and being so value and mission driven. Um, but I do think it's, it's being transparent, but another way of saying that's to tie it back to what you said earlier is it's, it's human, you know, it's putting yourself in your customer's shoes and thinking about how they would feel and what they would rather hear and how they would rather hear it in a way that's true to who the brand is. So I think that's a, yeah. that's a fantastic story. We actually had a, a customer get in touch with us afterwards who ran a marketing agency. And she told me that they had, uh, they'd sat down on the Friday when they first got the, the email with the mistake and had sort of discussed that and talked about, you know, damage to trust and those things. And then on the Monday when they got the apology email, she emailed me and she was like, you know what, we've just had this team meeting and we actually think that our trust in your brand has increased from the way that you handled this. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's good. You know, you can turn that stuff around, which is, yeah. which is very cool. And I think also in the financial services world, there is such a difference between how the incumbent brands and the challenger brands act and behave. Um, Cause I think a lot of people wouldn't expect that type of thing from maybe a traditional FS brands, um, but it fits so perfectly with a, a brand like TransferWise. Yeah. I'd agree with that. So what, what, what else is on the roadmap? What are you excited about that you're working on? What's coming up for TransferWise? Gosh, um, I mean, <laughs> really a lot. I mean, we're, we're a pretty big company now. I think we're over 2,000 staff worldwide. Um, we have 7 million customers and uh, we support something like 1,600 plus currency combinations. So we've got a seven person PMM team. So we, they keep us pretty busy with this stuff. Um, but, um, but yeah, some of the big things that I'm excited about, like we just launched direct debits for our multi-currency account in, uh, in GBP and Euro. Um, and we've got more direct debits 
launches coming up this year, which which is cool because it basically means that consumers and businesses can set up payments for rent, for bills, for utilities, for mortgages in countries all over the world um, and save money by using TransferWise. So, so that's pretty cool. Um, there's some there's also some some huge stuff in Asia at the moment, which I think is um, was a massive growth market for us. So we just launched our payment integration with Alipay last week, and uh, which is one of the biggest mobile wallets in China. I think they have around 800 million users, something like that. And then there's some, some interesting stuff on the business account side as well. Like We've got some great features coming down the line that will really open up the business product to larger scale businesses who need to make high volumes of international payments. Um, so yeah, there's, um, and then there's just the small matter of rolling out the multi-currency account and debit card and a bunch of new markets. So I think it's going to be a really big year for us. And, uh, I think, uh, we'll be pretty busy as a team. So, uh, looking forward to it. Sounds like it, but wouldn't expect anything less. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, you know, hearing you talk about what you're doing in Asia and this global team, how do you approach, um, you know, and knowing that you're very driven by being human and listening to the customer, how do you approach the nuances of marketing, staying true to who the brand is consistently around the world, but then marketing to um, the nuances of culture and what your customers care about in different countries? Yeah. So actually, our um, the product marketing managers in my team are all based in local markets as much as possible. So we have uh, a team in Singapore who look after APAC, and they spend a lot of time in market as well. So the PMMs who look after Australia and New Zealand will spend a lot of time in those countries talking to customers, running focus groups, doing user testing, really understanding the market as much as possible. Um, obviously, we can't be everywhere, um, but there is, there's, you know, there's no, um, there's nothing better than actually being on the ground and learning from customers. So I think a combination of, of geographic location of the team and also, you know, using technology to stay close to customers is, is where we sort of solve that problem. Great. So unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation, but a couple quick questions to wrap it up. So we'd love to hear about any sources of inspiration that you have, if there are books or websites or people that you follow. But for our audience, where do you go to learn and grow your perspective as a marketer? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, my biggest sources of inspiration are um, obviously our customers, um, but also my team. Like I've got a really outstanding team of product marketers and uh, we do like um, we do a series of, of monthly get togethers called the product marketing love in where we kind of come together as a team. You know, it's in different time zones. So it's someone's breakfast, someone's lunch, someone's dinner, um, but kind of share ideas and share articles and, and discuss learnings and, you know, learn from each other. So I think actually my my biggest source of inspiration yeah, is is coming from my team itself. That's great. And who else do you think we should get on the show? Maybe a season two guest. Mm. Um, you know, I think would be great, actually, uh, is Georgie Smallwood, who's the chief product officer for N26. Um, she's completely brilliant. I met her in Berlin and was really impressed with her product vision. I think she's also got a really interesting view on how product marketing fits into that. Um, but not only did they have a, a really great product, but they're also, you know, I'd be, I'd be fascinated to hear how her take on how you sunset a product in the market, you know, gracefully. Obviously, they're in a place where they're, they're needing to sort of withdraw from the UK for regulatory reasons. So I think um, that would be a fascinating perspective to, to talk about. That'd be great, actually. So that wraps up today's FinTech Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much to Tessa for joining me. Tessa, where can people find out more about you and TransferWise? 
you can find me on Twitter at Tessa Petman or LinkedIn and uh, we're at transferwise.com. We've also got a jobs page. Uh, if you're looking for any open roles, we are hiring. Great. And to everybody out there listening, thank you so much for taking the time. If you want to find out more about 11FS, head over to 11FS.com to see how we're helping companies and financial services go truly digital. And don't forget to subscribe to the FinTech Marketing Podcast so you never miss an episode. Please do leave us a review as we're getting things off the ground here in season one. Really appreciate it. There'll be so many more episodes to come. And of course, you can always reach us on Twitter, LinkedIn, just search 11FS. Or if you have suggestions for the show, guests that we should get on, or just questions, you can email podcasts at 11 fs.com to reach myself and the production team. We'll be out with more episodes very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.